we'll continue on our declarative prayer series this morning the power of one man's prayer that's what i'm going to be talking about this morning discussing it i don't talk about being one man or doing things on your own much but there are times and as a matter of fact there should be a time a day for each one of us where we go before the lord and the difference is is when we are singular and we come before the Lord, there should be an intimacy that takes place. And so as I get started here this morning, um, join me in a word of prayer, and we'll talk about this intimacy and what all it can do, the power in one man's prayer. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for this group of men this morning, big group, and Lord, they're ready and anxious to hear your word given this morning. Lord, teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we go, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Many of you will be familiar with this. I didn't go out of the Luke passage this time. This time I took it out of, out of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, same prayer. Jesus teaches it the same way. All right, but we'll just jump in and get started. Matthew 6. Pray then in this way. Our Father who art in heaven. Now let me stop right there. Remember the Jews were timid to give God a name, much less to say his name. And now, now Jesus has changed it from this huge being, this huge creator that's way out there waiting to smote us to our Father who's waiting to love us. And so if you didn't get that message, I spoke on that last week. You can go and listen to that message online. Then he goes on to say this, uh, hallowed be thy name. Now, hallowed simply means this. It means to be holy, to be set apart, to have great reference for. So he takes it from father, all right, but, but, but when it is your father, and though you're intimate, there should still be a level of respect all right, this is still the creator of the universe. So the level of respect still needs to be there for, for God. And then he goes on, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I actually started this series with that little phrase there about how we bring the kingdom wherever we go because the Lord God himself is in us. And so wherever we show up, the kingdom of God ought to be there as well. So our prayers should bring the kingdom. Now, let's, let's move on. The tragedy of the day is not unanswered prayer, it is unoffered prayer. The tragedy of the day is not unanswered prayer, it's unoffered prayer. What if God refused to move based upon the prayers that you say? And God would only move based upon the prayers that you say. In other words, if we don't ask, we don't have. And so if, if God is, if he's held back by anything in this world, what if he's held back by the lack of our prayer? Because God chose to work through us. That, that, and, and in some ways, the story's crazy. Because in order for God to go throughout the world, that means we have to go throughout the world. And it means we have to be connected with our Heavenly Father. And we have to ask on behalf of not just ourselves, but on behalf of our families, on behalf of our friends, on behalf of the church, on behalf of the world. That's how God moves, men. So if we don't go before our Heavenly Father, and if we don't have an intimate relationship with Him, if we're not asking then possibly he's not moving. Now, that doesn't mean that we're God. <laughs> Don't put yourself there, well, I'm God. Man. I'm casting out that demon, and I'm going to go down here, and I'm going I'm I'm to move this mountain. I'm actually going to move um, South Bonham Street over there on the highway so that more people will see our church. 
I'm just going to claim it, right? No, no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is God is God, but what could hinder God and his movement on this earth could be the lack of prayer. That's what I'm saying. Remember, I go back to this statement, the tragedy of the day is not unanswered prayer, it is unoffered prayer. All right, James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. So that tells us that possibly someone's healing is waiting on our what? Prayer. Okay. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Now, if you go to the old KJV, what does that say? The effective prayer of a righteous man can what? Availeth. It can avail. It can avail. All right, it means the veil's removed. It means that we're in. We enter into this holy of holy places that we have an intimate time with our Father. So if, if the effective prayer of a righteous man can avail much, then how much? How much can it avail, man? It, it ought to be a lot. Let's just look at what the Scripture says. Moses prayed and the sun was arrested and Joshua crushed the enemies of Israel. You heard that story last week, right? One man prayed and in and an entire army was crushed now watch hezekiah this is actually my personal study right now and so i just thought i would throw it in all right if you if you read on hezekiah um he was being mocked by another king the king of assyria it's a hard name to say it's s-e-n-n-a-c-h-a-r-i-b uh sennacherib and he's he basically the Sinatra, it, it frustrates me because if you see what he says about gods, it'll offend you. I mean, it is very similar to our culture. There's, there's only man-made gods. There's no one true. There's no real God. I'm not afraid of the God of Israel. I'm not afraid of your God. As a matter of fact, our army's bigger than your army, and we're, we've crushed every God that's gone before us already, and we're about to come crush you and your God. This is basically what this man's doing. So, so basically, Hezekiah, he just says, he, he goes in prayer, and he says, Lord, you need to defend your name. This guy is mocking you. He's writing it out on papers. He's sending it to our people and telling our people there is no God that will stop him and his armies. And you know what happened when Hezekiah prayed? 185,000 Assyrians died. One man's prayer who was intimate with God. He knew how to offer a prayer, and he stopped an entire army. Look, there's no doubt that Jesus calls us together, and you know this. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of us being together. There is power in twos. There's power in threes, but we have to have a personal relationship. This is why Jesus says when you pray, it starts as our Father. It's a relationship, and it means that we are to be intimate. I don't know if any of you have children. But there's nothing greater than being intimate with your children. To sit down with them, to lead them in a devotional, to pray over them, to anoint them with oil at times. You, you just love having that time with your children. Well, here's the truth. When we come before our Heavenly Father and we are intimate with Him, He wants to work and do through us. See, Jesus calls us together. There's no doubt. He, wherever two or more are gathered, what does He say? There I am with them. There I am in their midst, all right? And I'm not preaching against that. I'm just saying that, that look, uh, we, we need to have our one-on-one -on -one time too. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 72 by twos, and that's great. But what if you are by yourself? See, there are times when your prayer partner isn't with you. There are times, believe it or not, there should be times when your phone is turned off. There are times 
when we should go before the Lord, and that should be the Holy of Holies. I don't pray the same in my prayer room and my prayer closet as I do when I'm with others two by two or three by three. There's, there's a language, there's a vocabulary between myself and the Lord, and I'm not trying to, to, to boost myself up. As a matter of fact, this, this message series, as I've written it, is speaking to me and telling me that, hey, there's so much more that God wants to do. Look, there are times when your wife isn't standing there that you are out there alone. What then? And I believe this is what Jesus is talking about when he states in Matthew chapter 8, verse 16. You've heard me speak on this before. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, now a scribe is somebody who is educated, a scribe is someone who can document, a scribe is somebody at this time saying, hey Jesus, I want to follow you and I, I want to write down all the miracles, signs and wonders that you are doing. I want to know you and I, know what, I want to know what it's like to follow you anywhere you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, I've spoken on this passage of Scripture before, but it came to mind as I was putting this message together because uh, what he's saying is there are times that you are alone. There are times when, when you follow me that you'll, you'll sleep in the desert, and you better have a relationship with the Heavenly Father and be intimate you with Him because during those times, you're going to have to hear the voice of the Father. See, I don't think this man quite understood the cost of discipleship. I know Jesus intends on us being together, praying for one another, but it is difficult at times. Even Jesus would be left, left alone with just his father and himself. You remember the story where Jesus withdraws about a stone's throw away and he goes before the heavenly father. And then the next thing you know, Moses and Elijah shows up, the Mount of Transfiguration. Oftentimes the scripture tells us that Jesus would withdraw himself to what? to pray, just intimacy with his heavenly father. He didn't take his disciples every time. He didn't take um, John and Mark all the time and Peter. He, he, there were many times that Jesus just went to be with his father alone. So when Jesus is talking about foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, he's simply saying when you step up for me and when you stand out and when you pray to me, there are going to be times that you're going to find yourself alone. I said this in the message that I preached on this. It was a message on, on leadership. But when you lead, you bleed. That's just a fact, men. That there are going to be things that you're challenged with that you didn't know would ever show up in your path. And what God wants is he wants your faith to be an anchor. He wants your relationship to be an anchor. So when you are bleeding, you don't bleed out. But instead, those become scars. And those scars strengthen our backbone to stand even more firm for the gospel of Jesus Christ. There will be times when the foxes and birds can go home, but you can't because you've chosen to follow Jesus. When you choose to follow Christ, you'll simply be exposed. There's no hiding. There's no going back. You're out there on your own. And what will sustain you? The one thing that will, will, will sustain you, that's hard to say for me. The one thing that will sustain you is your relationship with your Heavenly Father. And that means at some point in time, you had better be intimate with Him. It's just the truth. I mean, we say this about pastors all the time, that they live in what kind of houses? Glass houses. Everybody's waiting on the great fall. Then we can say He's just like 
everybody else. And, and, and in some ways, that is true. In some ways, there, there, there are, um, we all have different calls, and, and I would say this about our calls, that uh, uh, unfortunately, people like to see one another fall from their calls and have to pull themselves back up and say, I told you so. I've been in ministry for 20 years. I, I actually been in ministry longer than that, but been pastoring for 20 years, and I've seen several fall. But I know this, that when you get out there, that you're going to be exposed, and you better have an intimate relationship with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So when God, when Jesus teaches us to pray and he says, our Father, he's saying that's intimate as, as, as a son with his Father. It's got to be intimate. And look, that time happens when you go alone with God. Now, if you missed the first part of this message, I encourage you to go back and listen to it because it's very important when I talk about the power of one man's prayer. Don't miss that. It's very important. James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish, can avail much. You know, I, as you look through the Old Testament, and I gave you those examples a while ago about how powerful these men of prayer were, how they stopped armies. Moses stopped an army. Hezekiah stopped an army because of their intimacy with God. What about in New Testament Scripture? Well, Jesus didn't just stop armies, but he what? Started one that continues to march throughout today. Martin Luther. If you know anything about Martin Luther, if you don't, I'll just help you. Martin Luther basically turned the world upside down. So basically what happened is the church had become very corrupt, very corrupt over the years. And, and uh, I mean corrupt to the point where priests were, were, had hidden marriages or hidden concubines, if you would. Um, where, where doctrine had really become watered down, and, and God came through Martin Luther, and there were some other reformers in the wings. I mean, uh, there's no doubt, Zwingli, Stoppitz, Cantorini. I, I've, I've got books on this that it's, it's interesting to see what all happened with the Reformation. It wasn't all Luther, but Luther, there's no doubt, this guy had some cojones. We can say that in here, we're all men. I mean, he took it to another level. Uh, he was a monk, you know, and, and he nailed his 95 theses on the Wittenberg Castle and put himself out there. It could have cost him, and, and almost, and eventually would, I'm sure, in, in many areas of his life with the stress and everything involved, but it cost him his life. I mean, the Catholic Church was like, oh, my goodness, we need to, need to stop all this because this movement is a problem. I mean, they killed professed Christians tried to kill out all the Anabaptists just based upon this movement. That's what would follow this movement. Martin Luther had to spend a lot of time on his knees, and here's what he said about prayer. He said the hardest part of the Christian life and most neglected is prayer. It's simple intimacy with God. And look, he prayed a minimum of two hours per day. He would not go out into the day before he prayed two hours a day. He's a man who is called to reshape the world. And look, men who are called to reshape the world will do something. They will pray. They will have intimacy with their hev heavenly father. Philip Melanchthon, he was actually uh, the legs of Martin Luther. That's what I call him. He, he was kind of the scribe, the, the scribe that asked to follow Jesus around. Philip Melanchthon was also a great theologian himself. I, I see him actually as one of the reformers in the wings 
um, right up there was Zwingli, uh, but, but he actually followed Martin Luther. He kind of shadowed Luther. He did a lot of writing for Luther, and, and here's one of the things uh, he says. Uh, he, he, told, he once was told by Luther, I have so much to do today, I must take an extra hour for prayer. <laughs> How many times do we say that? I have so much to do today, I need to take an extra hour for prayer. What do we say today in today's culture? I have so much to do today, I can't pray. Lord, I don't have time to pray. And so what do we do? We go to what the Apostle Paul says, and the Apostle Paul says, pray what? Continuously. Well, if I'm going to pray continuously, that means that I can throw out prayers here and there and here and there and here and there and here and there, and um, surely I'm covered everything in prayer. I, I tend to walk in prayer, and we'll talk about that. That's in a later lesson. But, but I will tell you that what happens when you reduce your prayer life down to a shotgun-type approach that you lose your intimacy with God. And when your faith is shaken, and you're, you're out there on your own, and you're crying out, and you're saying, Lord, where are you? And you're saying, the foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but I'm out here, Lord, in, in the open, and I'm wondering where you are. And sometimes I wonder if that's when we hear the voice, depart from me, for I never knew you. Or maybe it should be said this way, for you never knew me. See, we're called to be in relationship with our Heavenly Father. Melanchthon stated, when I overheard Luther pray, or once when I overheard Luther pray, what faith were in his words. He seemed to be holding a conversation with a father or a friend. My soul was set as on fire with such a singular passion. He was quite certain that everything for which he prayed would come about. He just overheard Luther in his prayers. Luther wouldn't let him come in. Now, there was a time they could pray together. There was a time that they had a circle of men that no doubt prayed together. But Luther had this, this, this time that he set apart every day where it was him and the Lord, him and his heavenly Father. Don't interrupt that. My father wants to get with me. He wants me in the pickup cab of the truck, and we're going to talk. We're going to have an intimate time. So how would we apply this? I know I'm, I'm moving quickly. A fervent, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. How much? How does this happen? Well, if we go back to the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Meaning that we've got to go daily before the Father because He's got something to say to us. He's got something to say to His children. He's got something to encourage us with. He's got something to discipline us with. He's got something to, to help us change not only our futures, but the futures of those who are around us. Guys, that's how powerful prayer is. It doesn't just change your future. It changes the future of those around us. Give us this day our daily bread. When we kneel down, when we set time with our God, he is faithful to give us what we need in the moment, in moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day. In Matthew chapter 15, starting with verse 21, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And if you know anything about Tyre and Sidon, it, Jesus didn't spend any time in those places. That was not on his journey. It was not on his map. But now he's, he's kind of going through there just for a moment. It's where the Gentiles were. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered. So he's going to answer this lady. Now watch this, because, men, you're going to think he's rude. 
And he is. Watch. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, this is Jesus saying, saying this. Now, Jesus made it clear from day one when his ministry started that he came first to who? The Jews. The Jews. And then to the Gentiles. And there's a reason for that, and we don't have time to unpack all of that this morning. But I just want you to see that he, he, the, the, his disciples say, send her away. And he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. That wasn't good enough for her. So the woman came and knelt. She fell down at his feet. <clears throat> and watch what she says. Um, she says, Lord, help me. Now she calls him Lord. Now this is a Gentile woman. This is a woman who, who really the appeal had not been made to the Gentiles yet in its fullness. All right? It was coming. But this is just prior to, to, to really Jesus, Jesus breaking the veil open. So, so now uh, she kneels down and she says, Lord. She knows who he is. She, she realizes that she's amidst the holy of holies. She said, Lord, help me. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dog. dogs. Now, let's stop right there. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. So Jesus responds to her and says, hold up. <laughs> the children are who? Children of Israel. Yeah, don't, don't be afraid. It's okay to answer that. The children are the children of Israel. He came first to the Jews, so he's saying, hey, it's not right to take their bread. Right now, I'm, I, I've got to feed them. They need to see who they are and who they've been through, throughout all these hundreds and thousands of years. Why God has God befo gone before them. I mean, he shut the mouths of the prophets for 400 years. John the Baptist breaks onto the scene and starts preaching, repent, and then Jesus is here. And Jesus came first to those whom God hasn't spoken to in 400 years. And so now Jesus says, wait a second, I've got a lot of bread, and, and this bread is to go to the Jews first. But now this woman has recognized that he truly is Lord. He's the Son of God. She's at his feet. She's getting very intimate with him. And notice how she answers, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. If only I can have a crumb. I know I'm not a child of Israel. I know that you came through the Jewish lineage. I, I, I know all this, but if I could just have a crumb of who you are. Now watch. Then Jesus said to her, he, he did all this, I believe, so it would be an example to his disciples and all those who were around. Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter, daughter was healed at that moment. See, it only takes a crumb. But you must find yourself, your way, to the master's table to get that crumb. He invites all to his table. And as he invites us to his table, he is looking for us to be that intimate, to say, Lord, here I am, Lord. I'm knelt down before you. I need a crumb. And here's the neat thing about God is he doesn't look to give us a crumb. He, he, that's an example. Those words were, were the woman's words. He's looking to feed us. He's looking to make us whole. And not only did it impact her life, but it impacted what? Her daughter's life. That's how powerful it is when we go before the Lord. Second thing I would say is I end things and I... Just, just kind of tell you, um, <clears throat> there's plenty of other that we could have added here, and, and I will here in the next couple of weeks. Just stay with me. But the second thing is pray continuous, continuously.
but don't neglect intimacy. And that's where I went a while ago. We all like to say, hey, let's just throw a prayer out. Let's just do the shotgun approach. Hey, I'll pray as I drive down I-27 on the way here. I'll actually turn my radio off, okay, and have a prayer. By the way, Martin Luther, um, this is sitting in my notes, but if you know anything about how he prayed, he prayed aloud. And do you know why he prayed aloud? He prayed aloud because he believed that, um, that Satan needed to hear his prayers, that the devil needed to hear his prayers. So, so he prayed aloud. This woman, pray continuously, don't neglect intimacy. This woman starts out by saying, Lord, son of David. She has definitely heard of him. She finds herself on her knees crying out to him. He seems to ignore it at the very least. He seems rude, but she's initiating conversation. She found herself at his feet, and she initiated great conversation. And then he goes on to say, you have great faith, and her daughter was healed. Some of us do drive-by prayers and never had an intimate setting with Jesus. We simply drive by and throw one over there. You know, it's like a drive-by shooting. Oh, yeah, I need to pray for that place. And that's not necessarily bad. That means God's on our heart, but he's looking for us to have that time with him to be intimate. Some of us are okay with crumbs, but the crumbs should lead us to the table of intimacy with Jesus. And that's what he's wanting for each one of us. Men who change cultures, men who break curses, men who change pathways, men who turn nations are intimate with God. That's just, that's just the truth. And I'll end with one last story. Joseph Stalin. Now, depending on who you read and what you read about Joseph Stalin, supposedly he killed up to 30 million. Um, he made Hitler look small on the scale of murder. All right. Um, now, the new stuff that's come out on Joseph Stalin looks a lot different. Um, three to nine million is all he killed just from starvation. That's terrible. <laughs> I'm just saying. All right. doesn't matter. He was, a, he was a horrible person. Some would say that he may have been the worst human being ever to walk the face of the earth. He put a decree out once to begin killing Jews. He wanted all the Jews killed. This reached several Christians in England, one of which was Derek Prince. And I don't know if you all know who Derek Prince is. He's an author, uh, evangelist, charismatic, back in the 20th century, uh, very, very powerful man. Anyway, Derek Prince um, called several others to begin to fast and pray that this would not happen. Two weeks later, Stalin had a stroke. Sixteen doctors, eight hours of surgery, could not save him. See, the one who was going to kill all the Jews now stood before a Jew from Bethlehem. And look, I believe it was from one, two, ten people's intimate prayer with Jesus Christ. They stopped it. So, men, we have to be intimate and have an intimate time set apart with our Heavenly Father. With our Heavenly Father. There's some questions in front of you. Um, there's also a little note at the end if you're able to stay behind and help us set up for the funeral today. We would appreciate that. Um, Billy Graham said, when we come to the end of ourselves, we come to the beginning of God. Isn't that a great quote? Because ultimately it's God's power at work within us when we spend time with him.